Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What does it mean to live like a Christian? What does it mean to live like a Christian? This is a question I think that undoubtedly all of us in our life struggle with. What does it look like to live as becoming a follower of Christ? And we're continually moving on this pendulum back and forth between times where we feel like we're faithfully in his word and we're before him in prayer and we feel strong and then the pendulum comes back to where we feel guilt over our sin we feel guilt over our lack of desire to go to church and come before him in prayer we struggle with besetting sins that are over and over again creeping up in our life how do we live like a Christian how do I live as a Christian in a world that hates me how do I deal with those sins that I just can't stop doing I know I'm prone to anger and yet I get angry I know I'm prone to gossip and yet I gossip how can I get rid of this feeling of doubt and hypocrisy how am I supposed to live as a Christian We know that the Christian life is to look a certain way. We are to be living a certain way as Christians. And Paul is going to give us two differing lists. One list being all the ways and things you shouldn't do. And the other list being this is what you should be doing. One is a fruitless existence of the flesh, while the other is a fruitful and productive life of the Holy Spirit. And the difference between these two lists is the absolute difference between life on the one hand and death on the other. The passions of our sinful desires, of our flesh, are at war with living in the spirit. So as we come and look at this today, we're going to see three things. Works of the flesh, works of the spirit, and life in the spirit. Works of the flesh, works of the spirit, and life in the spirit. If we are going to walk this Christian life, 
then we must know the difference between the flesh and the spirit. The difference between the sinful nature and the regenerate nature. And so Paul, as I said, gives us these two lists. And these sort of lists were not uncommon in ancient literature, uh, particularly lists of vices. These are the things you're not to do. And we see one here. It's a, a very common kind of list. There are several examples throughout the New Testament. Uh, very seldomly are they the same. They have many similarities, but they're not, not exactly the same. And, and Paul simply says here, these are the works of the flesh. This, this is what you look for to see that sin is working in your life. He begins by saying, with sexual immorality. Uh, this is sometimes translated as forn fornication. Any kind of sexual sin. Uh, together not only with the actually doing of those sins, but with impure thoughts. Thoughts of the mind. He moves on from uh, sexual morality to impurity, to sensuality. This is all kinds of indecency. That lack of understanding of what is right and what is good. He moves from this to idolatry. This is comes in the form of false gods or anything that we put up over the creator when we worship that is which is created above he who created it he goes from idolatry to sorcery the worship of that which is evil black magic satan worship he goes from sorcery to enmity to strife these things that come next have to do with the breakdown of the Christian community. So, and there's in some sense where we can look at those first few and maybe we feel pretty good about ourselves. We go, okay, idolatry, uh, sexual immorality, sorcery. Uh, okay, maybe we don't see those every day, but then he switches into those things which we do struggle with every day, don't we? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Enmity, this uh, having... Enemies with one another is rampant in the Galatian church. And it, it leads to discord and jealousy, having zeal for what others have. And that leads to fits of anger. Can you identify with anything, any of these yet? I know I can. Rivalries. We want to get ahead of one another. This causes dissension and division. The word for division here is uh, the Greek, Greek word which we get the word heresy from. Separation that comes through true and false doctrine. And when rivalries are present, we see envy is present. We want what other someone else has. And then he moves into a little different direction. So we've talked about some of the more... Uh, outlandish sins to the more sins that we deal with and then he goes into drunkenness orgies and things like these it's about drinking in excess it's about these pagan wild parties uh, that were going on and he adds a few more in verse 26 to let's not become conceited provoking one another envying one another it's about spiritual pride that pride that destroys fellowship and as we look at this list, it's quite exhaustive, isn't it? It covers this whole range of gamut from sexual sins uh, to social sins to sins of the body and sins of the soul. The 
Puritan William Perkins said this, this list of vices is a mirror to reveal the corruption of our own hearts. Because here's the reality. Is there anyone in this room who can raise their hand and say, I am not guilty of one of these? And if you raise your hand, you're guilty of pride and lying and sinfulness and some other things. So don't raise your hand. No one in this room can raise their hand and say, we are not guilty of one of these. We are all guilty. We, as we examine our hearts, we see that these are the things we struggle in. And Paul says, hey, look, I warn you, as I warned you before, that if you do such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the final kingdom, this eternal kingdom, the kingdom that he is bringing Paul has been going on and on and saying good works cannot get you into heaven. But guess what? Bad works, evil works can get you into hell. There's a a reality here that we have to examine our lives. Okay, now we have to ask this question. Does Does this mean anyone guilty of these things is going to hell? No. No, it doesn't mean that if you are guilty of these things, even in your life in Christ, that you are going to hell. We must remember that the spirit-filled Christian struggles with sin. What Paul is talking about here, what the, 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 the verbiage of the Greek is talking about, is habitual, indwelling, living in these sins, not occasional lapses. He is talking about those people who live lives that are dominated by sin, who have committed their heart and soul to impurity, who live in it, who relish in it. This is who he's talking about. And the reality is this. Why would someone who loves breaking God's law want to be in a place where God's law will be always kept? But even still, you may be sitting there thinking, well, at what point have I sinned too much? At what point have I done it one too many times? And that's not what Paul's getting at here. We struggle But even in our struggle, we should heed his warning. Because it is a warning here for us. Examine your hearts. Examine your hearts. Know where you are before God. But do not despair. The reality of your conflict is important. I, I have this conversation with my wife ad nauseum over and over and over again as we talk about this kind of thing. And one of the things I always tell her is the fact that you care about them shows something about your heart. Because the person that Paul's talking about here, if you come and say, you know, you're living in sin, they go, so what? I don't care what you're saying. I don't care what you have to say to me. I don't, I I reject your notion of right and wrong and sin. I reject your notion of a God, but for those of us who are in Christ who have besetting sins and we're like, I'm, I'm mourning over my sin. I am worried that I'm not living right before God. That sort of attitude and posture, you cannot come with that without God working in your heart first. So hear his warning here. But understand that the conflict in your, in your heart shows God's spirit at work. 
He will enable you as you grow in faith to live a life more pleasing to God. Brothers and sisters, we struggle in these sins. We do. Each of us struggles in these sins. None of us are exempt as we struggle, but we must be transforming our lives, moving away from the sins of this world and moving to something different. So if these sins here, if this list, not being exhaustive, but meant to be covering a broad base, is how we are not to live, then how should we live as those who would inherit the kingdom of God? And this is where we come to a passage in Galatians that you would probably be much familiar with, right? We call this the fruits of the Spirit. We see this, Pat found this lovely bulletin cover with a tree and all the fruits on them, right? This is something that we're very familiar with in the Christian life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. The flesh in doing what it does naturally produces evil. But the spirit, by contrast, when it does what it does naturally, produces good fruit. Many of this in, the, in, in this list are the opposite of what we've just seen. And the first and foremost of these is love, this Greek word, agape. This is a selfless, sacrificial affection that enables us to love one another. We are to love one another in a sacrificial way. We are not to love one another in a way that we can gain something from somebody else. And from this love we see comes joy. And this is not joy as we tend to think of it. We tend to think of joy as happiness, right? Oh, I'm such filled with joy and happiness, but this is not exactly what joy actually is. It's much more than happiness. It's contentment. It does not depend on my circumstances. And so I can have joy in my Savior even through suffering. We rejoice in our eternal identity in Jesus Christ. And as we rejoice in that identity, we have peace. This is a sense of wholeness and well-being. This tranquility that may be enjoyed both with God and with others. And peace produces patience, long-suffering through hardship. The ability to endure through adversity. And from that patience comes kindness. And this is more than just random acts of consideration. It's not just doing some act of kindness. It's a constant readiness to help. It's the extension of God's grace to a people around us through practical actions of caring. We are to be practically caring for one another in all seasons. From this comes goodness. This is a term for virtue even among the pagans. It's complete moral excellence. Faithfulness, trustworthiness comes from trusting in the God of the Bible, which produces gentleness and inward grace, sometimes called meekness. It's, a, it's like power under control. And, and that leads to self-control. We are, have 
temperance or moderation of action. We are to be able to control self, not be prone to fits of anger. And again, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's meant to be part of the whole. Do you want to live as Christ? Then live after these things. It's about a lifestyle. It's about rooting our lives in the one spirit of God. It's about pattering our lives after him. But we also have to make this distinction. Spiritual fruit is not the same thing as a spiritual gift. What do I mean by that? We may have one or several spiritual gifts. Gingy has the gift of hospitality. That's her spiritual gift. And others may, may not have that spiritual gift or not have it as well. But we don't pick and choose our spiritual fruit. We can't say, well, God has given me the spirit, of, the fruit of love, but not of patience. That's not how it works. If you are in Christ, then all the fruit will be, be produced in you. Only some have gifts, but all have fruit. Because they are the opposite of the works of the flesh. Each fruit has its opposite weed, as it were. But also we understand this. We don't grow fruit based upon our own efforts alone. It's called a fruit of the Spirit, not a work of the Spirit. It's not that we work them out, and we are to be working, but it's about something the Spirit is producing in us. Understanding that it often takes time to grow. But it must grow. God will make it grow. Paul says this interesting thing here at the end of verse 23. There is, against these things, there is no law. And he says that because there is no law against doing these things. Because these things are completely and wholly lawful. People who practice them are fulfilling the law. J.I. Packard says it this way, holiness is the naturalness of the spiritual risen man. Just as sin is the naturalness of the spiritually dead man. And in pursuing holiness by obeying God, the Christian actually follows the deepest urges of his own renewed being. When we follow after these things, we're only following after what God has made us in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have to have these fruits of the Spirit. We have to be displaying these. Even if we struggle in it, we have to be displaying these in our life. And not only do we need to be displaying these fruits, we need to be working against this list of vices, their opposites, that Paul has given us. So how are we to do this? How are we to have this life in the spirit? Paul goes on to say here, and those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We must be living and walking by the Spirit of God. And we do this, as Paul shows us, in two ways. And the first way he shows us is by putting sin to death. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We often call this, in fact, there's a famous uh, or a well-known book written by um, John Owens entitled The Mortification of Sin. Mortification may not be a word that we commonly use, but uh, I don't think it's so uncommon that we can't understand it. You think of the word mortician. What does a mortician do? It has to do with the dead, dealing with the dead. And uh, mortification in itself just means putting to death sin. So when we talk about the mortification of sin, it's putting the death to death, the sin in our lives. John Stott defines it like this. To take up the cross was our Lord's vivid figure of speech for self-denial. Every follower of Christ is to behave like a condemned criminal and carry his cross to the place of execution. Now Paul takes the metaphor to its logical conclusion. We must not only take up our cross and walk with it, but actually see the execution take place. We are actually to take the flesh, our willful and wayward self, and nail it to the cross. We are to take our sins and to nail them to the cross of Christ. In fact, the mortification of sin can only make sense when we consider the crucifixion. What do we know about the crucifixion as we see in scripture? We know several things. It was a shameful way to die. It was reserved for hardened criminals, for traitors, the scum of society. And sin is shameful. And it desires this sort of death. It was a painful way to die. A painful way may never have been so devised. And this shows us that the mortification of sin is not easy. In fact, it is painful. It hurts to put aside these sins which easily ensnare us. The cross was a gradual way to die. When it comes to eliminating sin, there's no quick fix. We don't get to just say, that's it, I'm done. There's no shortcuts. It's a long, slow, painful death. But we also know it was a final way to die. One who was crucified did in fact die. And this is true of our sin. Our sin is being put to death. Our victory in this is certain. We know that God is not losing, or excuse me, fighting a losing battle. We find the death of our sinful nature in the crucifixion, in the death of Jesus Christ. He has put our sin to death. The cross of Christ means death to the flesh. But this is what we struggle with. We come in faith. We come in repentance, right? And we put our sins upon Jesus and then we, after we do that, we have this habit of sitting at the foot of the cross going, I'll take that one back. I kind of liked that one. 
we give our sinfulness CPR. We give it life. And we struggle. And this has to stop. We cannot allow those sins to keep creeping back to us. We have to kill them, put them to death. <clears throat> we must not give them life support. Do not hook them up and keep them allowing to live. Put our sins to death. And so that's one side. How do we have life in the spirit? We put our sins to death. And the other side then is to walk by that spirit, to live by that spirit. This is often called vivification. It means living in him. John Calvin says the death of the flesh is the life of the spirit. We are to live in him. Those who belong to Jesus live by his spirit. <clears throat> this word here, let us walk. <clears throat> Actually, it, the, the word here, the Greek word is, it, it's about marching, keeping in step. You ever watched, uh, or maybe some of you have done yourself, uh, marched in a military column? It is very important when you're marching in a military column to keep in step. In fact, it's painfully obvious when you're not keeping in step. We, uh, My high school that I went to literally... The back of the high school, there was a fence, and then there was Keesler Air Force Base. And right out in front where we were were all these barracks. And they would get up every morning when I was getting to school. You'd see these columns. And a lot of times they weren't only marching, they were running. Not just running haphazardly. They were running in step, in lines, in, in each in the correct step. What would happen if you're trying to run in step and you're out of step? The whole column suffers, right? It's disaster. We are to walk by the Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to be our drill sergeant. He's the one who keeps us in time. He keeps us in line. We're to run in step with his commands. And there can be no pushing and shoving in the ranks, as Paul concludes here, say, let no... No one be conceited or provoking one another, envying one another. There can't be pushing or shoving. We must maintain unity by helping those around us, by promoting, promoting them by being in step. So how then do we grow in the spirit? How do we keep in step with the spirit? And we talk about in, in, the, in the church, we avail ourselves. We encourage ourselves to, to be among his means of grace. His means of grace being the reading and preaching of God's word, the sacraments of baptism and communion, the life of prayer. Do you want to keep in time with the spirit? Then be in the spirit. Be in his word. Be, be before him in prayer. This is how we are to grow spiritual fruit. As we keep in step with him, the more fruitful we become. We can't just do whatever we want to do. We can't just live however we want to live. We have to live in a line with how he would have us live. We've seen these lists of vices. We see a warning here. 
We can no longer follow after these things. We must live differently. Brothers and sisters, there's an encouragement here to examine your heart. Do you have anger? Do you have envy? Do you have strife? Do you have fits of anger? Are you prone to idolatry, sorcery, enmity, jealousy? Are you struggling with sexual impurity, sensuality? Examine your hearts. Acknowledge the sinfulness in which you are struggling. And then put it to death. Kill it. Do not allow it to remain alive. And do whatever it takes. I think it's, it's easy to be repentant when we get caught. What do I mean by that? It's easy to acknowledge our sin when we get caught because we have no other choice, right? If we get caught, then we have to acknowledge it. But the problem with a lot of these sins is that we can easily fly under the radar, can't we? We can have anger in our heart and never tell anyone about it. We can struggle with different sorts of impurity and sensuality, even idolatry, enmity and strife, and never tell anyone about it. We need to do whatever it takes. And if that means going to someone and saying, I'm struggling in this sin, help me put it to death, then do it. We, we have a problem, I think, in the church as we've grown uh, uh, over the last hundred or so years that we like to present a very purified picture to the world that says we got it all together. That's not the reality of the Christian life. It's simply not. Because I don't have to stand here today and say, if you are struggling in sin do this. I can stand here and say with certainty, you're struggling in sin. Do this. Because I know you're struggling in sin because I'm struggling in sin. And we have to boldly and ferociously, tenaciously kill the sin. And we can't keep, we can't do that if we keep hiding it. We must live righteously And if we're going to live righteously, then we have to live honestly. We have to live differently than the world around us, walking in the fruits of the Spirit. They have to be the things that define us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're more than things we put on a pretty picture. And I love this picture. Don't you love this picture? But they have to be more than this. They have to be so much more than this because this is the kind of thing that we, it was in color when I first saw it. I'm sorry you don't get to see the color. It was beautiful. This is the kind of thing we like to frame and put on the wall, right? But it can't be something that we just frame and hang on a wall. It has to be who we are internally. And people should look at our lives and see them on display. That is a person who loves who is kind, who is meek, who promotes joy and peace and patience and faithfulness, who has self-control. We 
have to stop rationalizing our sinfulness by saying, well, that's just who I am. We have to move forward in faith, killing sin, living to righteousness. Brothers and sisters, are you living, walking after the Spirit? This is what the life in Christ looks like. It is the call for every Christian. It is my prayer, brothers and sisters, that we would live like this. But not only privately, but actively, boldly. And that we would be helping one another mortify the flesh, killing the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come and we're so thankful for your word. And we do ask that you would enable us by the working of your spirit to put on these things. To display the fruits of the spirit, not just in word, but in action and in truthfulness. Help us to put sin to death and live to Christ, we ask in Jesus' holy name.